Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. An entire generation is now saddled with unsustainable debt in exchange for an attempt, at least, at a college degree. The burden is so heavy that even if you graduate, you may not have access to the middle-class life that the college degree once provided. That's what today's announcement is about. It's about opportunity. It's about giving people a fair shot. It's about the one word America can be defined by, possibilities. President Biden defends and sells his plan to forgive student loan debt for millions of Americans. We'll have a complete breakdown of his executive action and take a look at how it could impact the economy. Plus, with the primary election calendar winding down, we're looking ahead to November and the key races that could decide control of Congress. Also ahead, new reporting on the communications between the government and Donald Trump's team before the FBI searched Mar-a-Lago. Good morning and welcome to Way Too Early on this Thursday, August 25th. I'm Sam Stein, in for Jonathan Lemire. 43 million people are in line to have a chunk of their student loan debt erased. And as many as 20 million could clear all student debt. Those are the figures from the White House following an executive action yesterday by President Biden. The President pushed back at criticism that debt cancellation will make inflation worse. That's 20 million people who can start getting on with their lives. All this means people can start, finally crawl out from under that mountain of debt to get on top of their rent and their utilities, to finally think about buying a home or starting a family or starting a business. And by the way, when this happens, the whole economy is better off. By resuming student loan payments at the same time, as we provide targeted relief, we're taking an economically responsible course. As a consequence, about $50 billion a year will start coming back into the, se- the Treasury because of the resumption of debt. Independent experts agree that these actions taken together will provide real benefits for families without meaningful effect on inflation. All right, so here's how the plan actually works. Borrowers who earn less than $125,000 a year or in $250,000 for couples who file taxes jointly, they can get relief for up to $10,000. Pell Grant recipients, who do make up the majority of student loan borrowers, they will be eligible for up to $20,000 of debt relief. Meanwhile, the administration is extending the pause on federal student loan payments through December 31st of this year. And the president yesterday also announced a new income-driven repayment plan that would cap monthly payments for undergraduate loans at 5% of discretionary income. That's half the rate under most existing caps, or sorry, most existing plans. Now, President Biden's announcement was met with widespread praise from other members of the Democratic Party. Let's just celebrate 
Because understand, 20 million Americans got the news today that they will never have to pay another, another nickel on student loan debts. Young people, people who are trying to make ends meet, uh, they, as it is, are struggling. And so to ask them to be paying back their student loans right now with a difficult economy is just wrong. Uh, this is an unprecedented step uh, to alleviate the burden that people are feeling. Republicans, on the other hand, well, they had a different reaction to the president's decision. I think it's a bad idea. I'm sure the people who will benefit from it will love it. The question is, is it fair to everyone else? That's exactly what this is, a massive bailout for people who've made bad decisions and are doing very well economically. It's completely unfair. It's hardworking people. They shouldn't have to pay off the great big student loan debt for, for some college student that piled up massive debt going to some Ivy League school. Now, there are also some economic, legal, and moral arguments against forgiving student debt. Last year, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said the president doesn't actually have the authority to cancel debt. And Biden himself said something similar during a town hall. Here's the House Speaker, and then you will hear from the president himself. People think that the president of the United States has the power for debt forgiveness. He does not. He can postpone. He can delay. But he does not have that power. That would that has to be an act of Congress. I'm prepared to write off the ten thousand dollars debt, um, but not fifty. Mr. President, let me ask you. Because I don't think I have the authority to do it by sign of the pen. So the president said he doesn't have the authority to write off fifty thousand by executive order, but he will forgive ten thousand. Now the plan of the Wall Street Journal editorial board. It, called it a moral hazard, writing in part, those who will pay for this write-off are the tens of millions of Americans who didn't go to college or repaid their debt or skimped and saved to pay for college or chose lower-cost schools to avoid a debt trap. This is a college graduate bailout paid for by plumbers and FedEx drivers. So according to the latest, consen- uh, latest census, fewer than half of the U.S. adults hold a college degree. And the recent NBC News poll found that debt cancellation, it's popular, but not overwhelmingly so. 46% of likely voters said they are more likely to vote for a candidate who supports canceling student debt. 33% said less likely. Joining us now to unpack all of this, my colleague at Politico, and I will say with bias, one of the best education reporters on the beat, Michael Stratford. Michael Thank you for waking up super early to discuss all this. Let's just start. Put this in context. Uh, the significance of the announcement for most Americans who owe student loans. Just how significant is this and how soon can they expect relief? This is hugely significant. Uh, Biden is really transforming here the federal student loan portfolio with at last tally was something north of $1.6 trillion owed by roughly 43 million Americans. So as you mentioned in the opening, uh, tens of millions of Americans are in line for $20,000 of debt relief, uh, tens of millions additional in line for $10,000 of debt relief. So the amount, sheer amount of debt that is being canceled here is 
by far unprecedented in the history of the the federal student loan program. Uh, this is really a the administration is really transforming uh, the the landscape here, and it went in some ways further than what the administration had had talked about, which was that ten thousand dollar level. The the surprise yesterday was that the administration was coming up uh, for Pell Grant recipients, who, as you mentioned, are the majority of federal student loan borrowers, 60% of them, those, those students are going to, or those borrowers are going to get an additional uh, amount of 20000 which is not something that the administration had, sure. had committed to publicly before. And Michael, I, the, the sort of nugget buried in there beyond the Pell Grants was this cap at 5% of payments of, 5% of discretionary income. Um, what does that actually mean? How does that, how would that policy work? And is that not more significant in some ways uh, over a longer stretch than the uh, student loan uh, relief itself? Yeah, so there, there are sort of two parts of this. One is the big announcement, this immediate relatively immediate relief for borrowers that they're going to see over the next coming months, coming weeks, as the education department ramps this up and and cancels the debt. But the second part, as you point out, is really the longer term, uh, long, long, uh, you know, permanent fix, if you will, uh, that the administration is making to how federal student loans run and how millions of borrowers now and into the future are going to repay their student loans. The current most generous repayment plan allows borrowers to cap their monthly payments at 10% of income. Under Biden's new plan, borrowers will be able to cap their payments on undergraduate student loans at 5%, so cutting their monthly payments in half. And probably even more importantly, uh, the administration is taking steps to limit how interest accrues on these payment plans. In the past, there have been concerns that borrowers cap their payments, but their payment doesn't fully cover interest, especially if right. they have a large amount of debt. So over the course of years, you see these ballooning balances. And so the administration is taking steps in this new plan to address that and shortening the length of time towards forgiveness. Right now, if you make payments for 20 years, you get your loans forgiven. The administration is going to actually cancel debt for borrowers who make payments for 10 years if they have uh, balances that are relatively low, below $12,000. All right. Well, it's a monumental policy. We'll see how quickly it gets challenged in the courts. Politico's Michael Stratford, thank you. Get back to work. Expect to file midday. Thank you so much. Now, switching topics. In a unanimous vote last night, Uvalde School Board approved the termination of school police chief Pete Arandondo. The decision by Mr. the board Mark was President, met with cheers. I know that good cause exists to terminate the non-certified contract of Pete Arredondo effective immediately. Any further discussion? Hearing none, all in favor? Motion passes unanimously. Now the decision was uh, the decision by the board was met with cheers by families in attendance. Comes exactly three months after a gunman killed 19 children and two teachers at Robb Elementary. Fact-finding report from the Texas legislature said the police response showed, quote, egregiously poor decision-making, adding officers, quote, failed to prioritize saving the lives of innocent victims over their own safety after it took 77 minutes to engage the shooter. Before the vote, Orondondo's lawyer sent a letter to the school board accusing it of a, quote, unconstitutional 
public lynching, adding, quote, none of his decisions or actions demonstrate a failure to meet the accepted standards or con- of conduct for law enforcement officers in similarly situated school districts in Texas. After the vote, NBC News reached out to Arndando and his lawyer, but have not heard back. There's no word on whether he will appeal the decision. And First Lady Jill Biden has again tested positive for COVID-19. This is a rebound case. Spokeswoman for the First Lady said she does not have any new symptoms. Dr. Biden first tested positive on August 15th while in South Carolina after having cold-like symptoms. She tested negative on Tuesday. The rebound case was detected yesterday. She has returned to Delaware from South Carolina where she was isolating. Still ahead, Democratic Congressman Ro Khanna will join the conversation in just a little bit. He has argued in support of canceling student loan debt. Plus, three U.S. service members have suffered minor injuries after rocket attacks in Syria. What we know about their condition and how the U.S. responded to those attacks. We'll get to all that and more when we come right back. Please stay with us. America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. Former President Donald Trump is facing 91 indictment charges, yet he remains the Republican frontrunner. On MSNBC's podcast, Prosecuting Donald Trump, veteran prosecutors Andrew Weissman and Mary McCord break down the biggest legal developments and how they could alter the election. Never had a president who engaged in this kind of conduct who's running for office. He is using the criminal cases for his own campaigning. Search for Prosecuting Donald Trump wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Tuesday. Turning now to the war in Ukraine, at least 25 people were killed and another 22 injured when Russian rockets hit a train station in the central part of the country. The attack yesterday came as Ukraine marked its Independence Day. In a video address, the UN Security Council President Vladimir Zelensky said four passenger cars caught fire and the number of casualties could go up. Zelensky also said an 11-year-old boy was killed earlier in the day by Russian rocket fire in the same area. Ukrainian officials had warned for days that Russian attacks could escalate around Independence Day. Meanwhile, three U.S. service members have suffered minor injuries in two separate rocket attacks in Syria. According to the U.S. Central Command, two facilities that house U.S. troops in northeast Syria began taking rocket fire yesterday afternoon. One service member was treated and released. Two others were said to be under evaluation for minor injuries. U.S. military official tells NBC News the U.S. responded with strikes from Apache helicopters, destroying three vehicles and killing two or three Iranian-backed militants believed to be responsible for yesterday's rocket attacks. Meanwhile, President Biden has announced a new director of the Secret Service. It comes as the agency faces growing scrutiny over missing text messages related to the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Biden said yesterday that Kim Cheadle will succeed James Murray, who announced his retirement last month before the text message debacle became public. 
In a statement, the president lauded Cheadle's long and distinguished career at the agency. In her 27 years with the Secret Service, Cheadle was the first woman to be the director of protective operations and also served on Biden's security detail when he was vice president. Still ahead in sports, Major League Baseball is shaking things up with next year's schedule. Plus, highlights from two record-setting performances last night on the Diamond. Way Too Early is coming right back. Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. Get the best of MSNBC all in one place every day, each morning in your inbox with the MSNBC Daily Newsletter. Understand today's news. Sign up for MSNBC Daily at msnbc.com. A federal jury has awarded the widow of NBA superstar Kobe Bryant $16 million in damages over leaked photographs of the site of the helicopter crash that killed her husband, one of their daughters in 2020. Jurors yesterday returned a unanimous verdict in favor of Vanessa Bryant, agreeing that the LA County first responders who snapped and shared photos of the remains of her husband and 13-year-old daughter invaded Bryant's privacy and caused her emotional distress. Jurors awarded an additional $15 million to Bryant's co-plaintiff in the civil case, Chris Chester, whose wife and daughter were among the nine people killed in the crash north of Los Angeles. Vanessa Bryant took to social media shortly after the verdict was read, posting this photo of herself with her husband and their daughter, Gianna, writing, quote, all for you, I love you, justice for Kobe and Gigi. Sad story. Turning now to Major League Baseball, all 30 teams will play each other in the same season for the first time next year the league announcing a new balanced schedule for 2023 that has each team hosting a three-game series or playing a three-game series on the road against every team from the opposite league. As a result, division opponents will play each other just 13 times down from 19. That's good news for my beloved Red Sox. All 30 teams are set to play on opening day. To the action on the field in Pittsburgh yesterday, Pirates rookie O'Neill Cruz recorded the hardest hit ball in StatCat history, launching a 122.4, let me repeat that, 122.4 mile per hour single that clanged off the top of the right field wall at PNC Park, hit so hard that he could only get a single out of it. That was the only highlight for the Pirates in a 14-2 loss against the Braves. Atlanta completing a three-game sweep of Pittsburgh, erupting for seven runs in the eighth inning, including Matt Olson's grand slam that bounced right into the Allegheny River. Ball just got wet a little bit. Braves are now just a game and a half behind the idle New York Mets atop the National League East. Meanwhile, and this is crazy, new Major League record set in Seattle. Mariners righty George Kirby, he threw 24 straight strikes to start last night's game against the Nationals. Man, throw one out of the zone, buddy. Despite Kirby's efforts, the Nationals still beat Seattle 
three, two, one. Those gnats, gotta love them. All right, time now for the weather. Let's go to meteorologist Michelle Grossman for the forecast. Michelle, what's going on out there? Good to see you, Sam. Well, unfortunately, we're looking at more showers and storms in the southeast today. We have that frontal boundary that just won't budge, and we're looking at heavy rain or the potential for heavy rain as we go throughout this Thursday. So flash flood watches in effect through tonight where you see the green from portions of East Texas into Louisiana, also Mississippi, the panhandle in Florida and Alabama. We're looking at the potential for some really heavy rain, some torrential downpours. Seeing some heavy rain right now, you can see portions of Louisiana, even portions of Mississippi just south of Jackson. That's not good news. But most of the activities into the southeast portions of Georgia into the Carolinas. And this is going to be the bullseye today for that really heavy rain. And we're going to see that once again tomorrow. It's all due to this frontal boundary that's nearly stationary. It's not quite parked, but still we're seeing those showers and storms over this front. It's sort of like a train track where we're seeing it training over the same areas. And we're looking at rainfall rates once again, two to three inches per hour. So it comes fast, it comes furious. And that's what we're going to be watching on this Thursday. Rainfall forecast anywhere from one to three inches, but we could see locally higher amounts, even up to four or five inches in some spots, especially where you see these darker colors along the coast, the brighter colors, oranges, yellows, and reds. That's where we expect the highest amounts of rainfall. Also heating in the north, heating up in the northeast. Still August, still summer. Temperatures back into the 90s. 90 in Baltimore. You factor in the humidity, it's going to feel like 92. It'll feel like 94 in Richmond. It's going to feel like uh, 90 degrees in New York City. Then as we go throughout tomorrow, we're going to keep those warm temperatures in place. 92 in Philadelphia. Back to you, Sam. Michelle Grossman, I enjoyed the brief reprieve of high 80s. Now back to the (laughs) 90s, I suppose. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And one more weird story before we go to break this one for uh, all the parents with kids out there. Severe drought conditions in Texas have revealed ancient dinosaur footprints that date back more than 100 million years. Tracks have been uncovered in the Paluxy River as water level recedes due to major drought that has parched parts of northern Texas this summer. The newly unearthed footprints likely belong to the, and I'm going to butcher this dinosaur's name, I'm just warning you this, they likely belong to the Acrocanthosaurus, I think I got that right, dinosaur that once stood 15 feet tall, weighed more than 7 tons. But with rain expected in the forecast, park officials say the prehistoric tracks will again be buried beneath the river water soon. I suppose this is a good byproduct of global warming. I don't know. Still ahead, this November, the nation's biggest money raise could be in Florida, where Democratic Congresswoman Val Demings is looking to unseat Republican Senator Marco Rubio. We're looking ahead to that race and Florida's other big contest for governor. We'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back to Way Too Early. It's 5.30 on the East Coast, 2.30 out West. Brutal. I'm Sam Stein in for Jonathan Lemire. Democrats are feeling some momentum after picking up a special election win in a swing district. This as more general election races come into focus for the midterms. NBC News Chief White House Correspondent Peter Alexander has more. What may be the strongest evidence yet that following the Supreme Court's reversal of Roe v. Wade, Democrats are benefiting from a surge of new energy that's translating into increased turnout, an upset in upstate New York. I, 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 I honestly can't believe it. I cannot believe it. 
Democrat Pat Ryan pulling off a special election win in a closely watched swing district that voted for Presidents Obama, then Trump, then Biden. While his Republican opponent, Mark Molinaro, leaned into GOP messaging on inflation and crime, Ryan remained laser-focused on abortion rights. When fundamental rights and freedoms are under attack, we have to stand up, we have to fight, we have to be strong and clear. Still, Democrats are also facing their own internal duels, intensified by redistricting. In New York, Jerry Nadler cruising past longtime Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney in a redrawn district that forced the two committee chairs to battle for a single seat. And other results may impact the race for the White House. In Florida, Ron DeSantis, who's believed to be eyeing a 2024 presidential bid, will first have to defeat former Republican governor turned Democratic congressman Charlie Crist to keep leading that state. His blind ambition for the presidency of the United States of America has taken his eye off the ball. But with DeSantis remaining popular in Florida to win, Crist will have to pick off moderate votes. All right. Meanwhile, in Florida's Senate race, it's going to be a closely watched contest between Senator Marco Rubio, Democratic Congresswoman Val Demings. Demings, a former police chief and a rising star in the party, is trying to tap into the anger surrounding the reversal of Roe v. Wade. She has also already raised significantly more money, $48 million compared to Rubio's $36 million. But as Politico reports, the race is about much more than money, and many see Deming's fundraising lead as temporary. According to Politico, Rubio is, quote, a seasoned politician with a strong campaign operation and knows how to succeed in Florida politics, including winning two statewide races for Senate by wide margins. Joining us now to discuss this, policy and politics correspondent for Insider, Kimberly Leonard. Kimberly, thanks for joining us. So you reported yesterday about this contest between Val Demings and Marco Rubio. Uh, what's your assessment of the race so far? Uh, and, you know, does Val Demings really have an outsider's chance here or is this fool's gold for Democrats? Well, there's been sort of this fatalistic feeling that has set in among most of Florida Democrats where they feel like Florida has really become a red state used to be thought of as a purple state that would, you know, potentially swing Democratic every once in a while. Um, but the Demings race is one where they feel a lot more energy. And part of the reason for that is that they say that even though she's not that well known across Florida right now, that as people get to know her better, that they're more attracted to her candidacy. Part of that is that they're really playing up her background in law enforcement. And, you know, they say that when people get to know that they're attracted to this um, you know, sort of no nonsense, tells it like it is. She's in charge. She has this background that's really attractive. And so that's why they think that she has a shot. Well, and then there's the context of Roe v. Raid, right? Um, Democrats feel incredibly jazzed by the election results that have happened since the Supreme Court decision. Uh, is there a sense among Democrats in Florida specifically uh, that that issue can be used as a cudgel or at least something to generate uh, enthusiasm among the base, make this a contest? They definitely think there is for her race in particular. The way that the campaign uh, is sort of phrasing it is they're saying there are three Ds related to why we think we can win this race. Number one is donors, which you already talked about. Second is Demings, which is the identity piece. And then the third is Dobbs, referring to the abortion decision. And so they think that Yes, really running on that, especially in contrast to Senator Rubio, who is opposed to abortion rights, they think could help to propel them and give that momentum that they're looking for. 
You forgot the fourth D, Ron DeSantis, who is there as well. Just quickly, you know, he's obviously got national ambitions, um, but he draws a lot of attention to the state and he can raise a lot of money. Uh, does he factor into the Senate race at all in the sense that he's on the ballot too? Well, that's a, a factor that they're definitely thinking about. Um, first of all, he was campaigning with Senator Rubio on Tuesday evening and also yesterday. So, um, you know, he will be, the, the two will be associated with each other. Um, but one thing that I'll note is that the Demings campaign has said that they think that she actually has qualities that are similar to Governor DeSantis and that she's tough and strong. <laughs> and so they, the, the argument they're making is that, well, maybe people who would vote for Governor DeSantis would still peel off to vote for, uh, for Demings for U.S. Senate. That seems optimistic on their part. Anyways, insiders, Kimberly Leonard, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate you unpacking the bizarre politics of Florida. Thank you so much. Still ahead, Congresswoman Liz Cheney is hinting at a presidential run in an effort to stop Donald Trump from regaining office. New polling suggests a Cheney campaign could actually end up helping the former president. Way Too Early is back in just a moment. Now for something old but new. The Justice Department has released the unredacted version of a 2019 memo making the case to then-Attorney General Bill Barr that President Donald Trump should not be charged with obstruction of justice in the Russia investigation. The nine-page memo is dated March 24, 2019. It was written by Stephen Engel, who is then the Assistant Attorney General for the Office of Legal Counsel, an important office in the White House, and Ed O'Callaghan, who served as the Justice Department's Principal Associate Deputy Attorney General, long title for saying top official in the Justice Department. Barr was a critic of then-Special Counsel Robert Mueller's probe, and he announced that the Department of Justice would not prosecute the case the same day that the memo was sent to him. The memo was released in response to a lawsuit by a government watchdog group, and stated the Mueller report, quote, is not, in our judgment, sufficient to support a conclusion beyond a reasonable doubt that the president violated the obstruction of justice statutes. Given that conclusion, the evidence does not establish a crime or criminal conspiracy involving the president toward which any obstruction or attempted obstruction by the president was directed. The memo dismissed Mueller's concerns about Trump's firing of FBI Director James Comey, his attempts to fire Mueller, and his dangling of pardons to some witnesses while he was warning others not to help flip on him. The memo also stated, quote, in the absence of an underlying offense, the most compelling inference in evaluating the president's conduct is that he reasonably believed that the special counsel's investigation was interfering with his governing agenda. Even if the president were objectively wrong about the intentions of the special counsel, many, if not all, of his actions could be viewed as lacking the intent element under the relevant statutes. In other words, Donald Trump did not have the intent to obstruct. The Mueller report identified 10 episodes that could be considered potential obstruction of justice, but it did not come to a conclusion about whether to charge the president for them. Meanwhile, as questions swirl about, out, about whether outgoing Wyoming Congresswoman Liz Cheney will pose a challenge to former President Trump's expected 2024 presidential bid, 
New polling suggests her candidacy could actually hurt the current president. That's Joe Biden more than his predecessor, Donald Trump. The latest survey from Yahoo News and YouGov, 46% of registered voters say if the 2024 presidential election were a two-way race between Biden and Trump, they would back the current president. But when, Tra- when Cheney enters the mix as an independent, Trump wins the three-way race with 40% of votes in that scenario. However, 17% of voters still say they are undecided. Another, however, we are way off from anything happening in 2024. Following her Republican primary defeat last week, Cheney said she would consider a presidential run. She has not said, though, whether that would be as a Republican or as an independent. Coming up, I will be joined by Democratic Congressman Ro Khanna. We have a lot to get to from student loan debt debate to the fallout from Tuesday's primary elections. You will not want to miss this. We will be right back. The race to replace Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney as a leading Democrat on the House Oversight and Reform Committee is starting to heat up. Two, at least two senior Democrats are now vying for that top spot in the next Congress. There's Congressman Stephen Lynch and Jerry Connolly. They both announced their intent to seek the position just hours after Maloney lost her primary contest. Maloney has chaired the committee for nearly three years. It's unclear if any other Democrats will join Lynch and Connolly in that race. Joining us now is Democratic Congressman from California, Rokana. He is a member of the House Oversight Committee. Congressman, thank you so much for waking up early and joining us. Really appreciate it. Look, you work closely with Chairwoman Maloney. She just recently lost her primary, so it's all very fresh. But uh, how do you see the work of the Oversight Committee being impacted by her loss, her soon departure from Congress? And do you have a favorite candidate to replace her atop, uh, as the Democrats' top person on the committee? Carolyn Maloney has done an extraordinary job. We co-chaired the hearings on big oil. It was the first time in decades that big oil executives came before Congress to testify about climate disinformation. In fact, we have a follow-up panel in mid-September. So she's just been an extraordinary leader, and it's going to be a huge loss for the committee in Congress. Uh, I'm hopeful that uh, Jamie Raskin will throw his hat in the ring. He uh, is a man who meets the moment. He's done extraordinary work in standing up for democracy. I think he'd be great to to lead us uh, on that committee. And he has expressed some interest in it, but he has not thrown his hat in the ring quite yet. I want to switch to student loans a little bit. Uh, you tweeted on Tuesday that $10,000 should be the floor for student loan relief. Uh, in this case, uh, it is for some. It's $20,000 for Pell Grant recipients. Um, were you surprised that Biden went above $10,000? Uh, but more specifically, uh, would you like to see them take additional action? And how worried are you that this thing will survive what seems likely to be some court challenges? Well, I give the president credit. Uh, As I've said before, it's a down payment on student loan relief. It's the first time the president has done anything significant in forgiving student loans. But, you know, I took out $100,000 of student loans. Most people, when they go to college or even uh, vocational school, spend more than $10,000. So I'd like to see it uh, be more significant. Uh, I'm hopeful that it will survive the authority uh, in the Supreme Court. I mean, if you have the authority to suspend payments. I don't understand why you wouldn't have the uh, 
authority to forgive payments because the suspension in itself, especially if you're not charging interest, is a form of forgiveness. And finally, uh, I noticed that in early August, you took a trip to New Hampshire. It's a random state. It has a little (laughs) bit of political significance, but you spoke to the New Hampshire young Democrats there. What should we infer from you going up to the great granite state? Uh, Should you should we uh, infer from that that if Joe Biden were to not run, let's say uh, that you would be interested in making a presidential bid of your own, which has been, I should note, reported that you may be interested in doing. No, I, in fact, I was up there uh, at the invitation of the New Hampshire Young Democrats uh, to talk about a lot of the achievements of this president from the American Ec- Economic Recovery Act to infrastructure, to the CHIPS bill, which is finally going to bring semiconductors back, to the Inflation Reduction Act, the largest bill on climate, to gun safety. Democrats have a lot to be proud of. We need to get that message out. Of course, when you go uh, to a state like New Hampshire, uh, it gives you a platform to get the message <laughs> out. People cover it. Uh, so, you know, I was happy to, to accept the invitation. All right. And quickly, while I have you, last question. Democrats will come back uh, after this recess, having achieved a lot uh, objectively. Uh, you listed a, a fair number of things there. There is a short sprint before the midterms, but it also is a small legislative window. If you had your druthers, what's the one thing the party should do between now and the election legislatively? Child care. I mean, that's been the big miss. Uh, Two million women still out of the workforce. We've not done anything to provide child care in this country. Uh, That's what I would love to to see done. All right, Congressman Ro Khanna, my antenna's up. I'm waiting for your next trip to maybe South Carolina. (laughs) I don't know, Nevada. We'll see what happens. Keep covering it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. All right, up next, new reporting on the former president's questionable record keeping while still in the White House. And coming up on Morning Joe, more on the impact of President Biden's student loan debt announcement. Also ahead, Congressman-elect Pat Ryan will join the conversation following what might have been the most significant win of the primary season. Plus, 25-year-old Maxwell Frost could become the youngest member of Congress in history. The Democratic U.S. House nominee in Florida is a guest. And Bill Nye, the science guy, joins with a look at his new project on Peacock. Morning Joe is just moments away. Hey, it's Chris Hayes. This week on my podcast, Why Is This Happening? Evangelical pastor and director of Vote Common Good, Doug Padgett, on the rise of Christian nationalism and what's at stake in this year's election. We lack a story in this country about what our politics are supposed to achieve. And when we suggest to them that the common good can be your voting identity, rather than being Republican or being a Democrat or being fiscally this or that, big government or small government, but you care about the common good, people are like, oh yeah, that that I actually care about. That's this week on Why Is This Happening. Search for Why Is This Happening wherever you're listening right now and subscribe.